Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week, we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. But before we begin, we'd like to hear what you think of the podcast. So please drop us a line with thoughts, comments and ideas for things you think we should be covering and what you thought of the previous podcast to ftadvisor.podcast at ft.com. Also, if you like what you're hearing, follow us on Spotify or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Amy Austin, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Tom Selby, senior analyst at AJ Bell, and Krupesh Kachetcha, financial planner at Balanced Wealth Planning, and we will be discussing pension freedoms. So welcome to you both, Hello. and thank you for joining us. It has been five years since pension freedoms were introduced and completely turned the pensions industry on its head. Pension freedoms mean that when a saver hits retirement age, they can no longer have the choice of purchasing an annuity, but can also choose to take cash sums or enter drawdown. Some in the industry were very welcoming of these new rules, whereas others were a bit more sceptical about the consequences were. So Tom, what do you think? Have pension freedoms been a success or is it still too early to tell? It's difficult to define success in terms of the pension freedoms. I think um, the pension freedoms have worked well in various ways. So clearly the pension freedoms have been very, um, very popular. We've seen huge sums of people um, accessing their their pots flexibly. We haven't seen um, people on the whole making hugely irresponsible decisions with their money. So we, we're, not, we're not seeing lots of people with um, significant pots drawing down in a way that um, is potentially going to leave lots and lots of people um, struggling for money in retirement. But it's it's very difficult to pin down exactly where success and failure lies in a way. I think the pension freedoms have been popular. I think the industry has reacted well to them. There are things that are working uh, well as a result of them. So I think people are, are more attracted to saving in a pension as a result of the freedoms because they've got that little bit of flexibility if they want to access them. Um, we're also seeing some people taking advice, but probably not enough people at this moment in time. Um, I think one of the one of the key things that people look at when they're deciding whether or not the freedoms have been successful or not is the rate at which people are withdrawing from their pots. So there's some data from um, from the FCA which has tried to get a handle on exactly what what rate people are withdrawing from their pension pots. So there's the old theory that roughly 4% at age 65 adjusted for inflation is a sustainable way to withdraw from your drawdown pot. There's various debate about whether or not that's um, that's the right level or not. If you look at the figures that the FCA have released, they reckon that the average withdrawal rate is about 8%, which suggests that something bad might be going wrong. But when you dig a bit deeper into that, that doesn't take take account things like other people's wealth. It doesn't take account the fact that they might have different pension pots as well. And our own research, our own surveys with customers that we've done for the past three years has suggested that the average withdrawal rates are around three to four percent. So something more sustainable and more the kind of thing that's going to last throughout people's retirements. And Kripesh, what about you? Are you happy with pension freedoms as they are? Yeah, I think um, I think yeah, I sort of concur with what Tom's saying there. Uh, it's hard to define success mm. um, with pension freedoms. I think if we define it as um, people having more flexibility that gives them uh, more choice to better meet their needs, then then yes, of course, it's uh, been you know that that part of it has been successful. But it, it is too early to tell. You know, five years on, we're talking about retirement periods that people could have that could be thirty, forty years ahead. 
but it's just not a long enough period to yeah. actually define that success. And, and and yeah, just going to Tom's point about the the withdrawal rate. If people, if the FCA found that people are taking um, sort of an eight percent withdrawal rate, then of course that would be quite unsustainable in most cases. Um, but then there's going to be changing shapes of income. There's going to be all sorts of things that people might um, be drawing more before their state pension, for example. And then when yeah. the state pension starts. They'll, they'll withdraw less, um, and then as they get older, they might spend less, and so all of those things will change, and and um, we'll find out in I guess in years to come if it's uh, been successful or not. Yeah, and if if I could just um, add to that, I absolutely agree with everything Kripesh has um, has said there. But this is in in a way the period since um, the pension freedoms was launched hasn't been. Um, it's not a normal group of retirees, and it's not been a normal period of time either. So a lot of uh, the people who will be accessing the pension freedoms at the moment will have generous defined benefit pensions that they can rely on alongside perhaps some small personal pension pots defined contribution pots. So while withdrawal rates might look high compared to what you would want from someone who's just relying on DC, a lot of people have got property wealth and defined benefit pensions, buy-to-let properties as well, which they'll be um, drawing an income from as well. So it's, and you've also seen since 2015, investment markets have actually been particularly good. Now, clearly no one should be making a withdrawal plan plan at 8%, assuming that they're going to get 8% investment returns. But for a lot of people, that will have been the case over that period of time. So as long as people, uh, anyone who's in a DC port, hopefully is taking advice, if they're not taking advice, then they're taking significant withdrawals in a way where they know the consequences of that, then then that's fine. But it's, ve- it's very difficult to know who knows what and also what everyone's assets are as they're making these these choices. Kripesh, have you noticed that more people are coming to you because of these freedoms? Have they, have they been beneficial to advisors? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there is um, there isn't any shortage of people looking for advice. Um, so that has been uh, beneficial for, I guess, the whole advisory uh, community in that respect. But I think, uh, unfortunately, there's not enough advisors to meet mm. the demand. But it still doesn't address the sort of wider advice gap. Um, I think there's still an issue there that there's people that, um, that we, we naturally only see people that seek advice, but there's still going to be a whole host of people that sort of try and go it alone and that they probably need advice. Um, so it's it's working with, um, I guess, the wider profession to see. Um, I know the FCA are looking at sort of working with pension providers to see if they can have pathways that can help people that do go it alone. Um, to make better choices and give them the option of what to do because you know naturally that if people that don't get advice just generally follow the least line of resistance and they might just accept the drawdown from their current pension provider without shopping around, for example, and there might be better choices out there for them. But for advisors, yeah, there's, you know we're, we're very busy as it is, um, so it's uh, positive in that respect if people and it's positive for the people that are getting advice that echoes the the experience i've had so recently um i've uh, i've been at some of our um, on the road events so going around speaking to advisors at different um, different parts of the the country and one of the speakers at each of those events asked advisors to put their hands up whether they're taking on new business um or whether they're not and in most rooms so you're talking about uh, about 20 25 advisors in a room there'd never be more than a couple who are saying that they're still taking on new business. Um, now, I think some of that may be linked to the pension freedoms, but the reality is that most of that is linked to the post-RDR 
world we've seen a, 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 there's a there's there's a bit of massive drop off in the number of advisors in the country and demand for advice partly because of the pension freedoms has increased significantly so Krupesh is right there's a huge there's a gap there between the amount of advisors are out who are out there and the amount of people who potentially need advice and it's and it says it's the $64,000 question that's existed since the RDR how do you go about filling that advice gap and the um the the pension freedoms I think have have exacerbated that need because clearly there's there's a section of the market where um, advice is absolutely suitable and you're probably looking at larger pots there. But in terms of pension freedoms, there's a lot of people at the moment who've got smaller pension pots for whom perhaps advice is less economic and finding solutions that meet those people's needs and are able to help them make roughly the right decision um, is, is is something that the industry and the regulator needs to get their, their heads around. I'm not, I'm not convinced that pathways are the right way to do it necessarily i think you've got a risk there of shoehorning people into the the wrong solution for the long term and then ended up um, in something that's that's inappropriate but equally i can't say i've got the the right answer to that question either and what about the people that are not getting advice pension freedoms do come with quite negative consequences as in they might exhaust their pension pot come retirement and take the whole lot as a cash mm. amount so what are we doing to kind of address this? The focus from the government has been around um, around guidance for people who um, who who are going down the non-advised route. There's been a limited number of people who've taken that guidance. I think um, there's all, I think sometimes there can be a little bit of um, uh, there's, there's some confusion around the the behaviours that people are uh, are showing when they're getting to the point of um, of retirement. The reality is that the vast majority of non-advised customers, and I suspect in some ways advised customers, but they're, they're different because they're protected by an advisor who can help them make the right decision with the rest of their pot. But non-advised customers on the whole, when they first access their pension pot, all they want to do is get their tax-free cash. Mm. That's the reality of the behaviours that people show the tax-free cash is the thing that they're most excited about getting. It's the thing that they want to spend and that's very understandable. So we've 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 seen the FCA's concern around this has been that people are accessing their tax-free cash and not doing anything else with their money, which is why um why they've they they've pushed for this pathway solution. And clearly the the FCA's aim and throughout some of the work the FCA is doing at the moment actually their aim is to to try to create a, a world where people if they do nothing and don't engage, then they can end up in at least an okay place. And I can I can understand why they're that's where the FCA want to go, but it's in in my view that to go into it's it's sort of the wrong message for people going into drawdown because to go into drawdown you need to engage. It just it just doesn't work if you don't engage. It and while a pathway solution might at least mean you don't stay invested in in cash or in the wrong investments for a huge period of time. The reality is most people wouldn't be doing that anyway because they're already being a SIP with investments. And I think you need to be making, need, there needs to be more effort focused on getting people to understand that if you're going to stay in drawdown, if you're not going to annuitize, then you need to engage, you need to manage your pot. And if you if you don't feel like you're in a position to do that, then you need to get some help from an advisor. Sure. And Krupesh, what would you say to the non-advised yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Thomas is absolutely right there. That one of the biggest, of course, the negative consequences of this is that people will run out of money during their lifetime. And um, interestingly, there was um, there's an independent think tank called the International Longevity Centre that recently released um, something called the Value of Advice Report. And they found that those that um, received ongoing advice had nearly 50% higher average pension wealth than those who only received advice once at the start. 
So there's clearly a, um, a beneficial aspect there to receiving ongoing advice. And the FCA found that in 2018, in one of their reports, that um, one in three people that went into drawdown were unaware where the money was even invested. Mm. And then, of course, you've got providers that are, um, you know, if they've invested consumers' wealth into sort of lifestyle strategies, they're defaulting them into cash or cash-like products or assets um, by the time they get into retirement. And that's not going to be, of course, sustainable over a long period unless people make choices and know what to do. And I agree with Tom again. Pathways might not be the; uh, it won't be the be all and end all solution. I think there's got to be some more guidance out there. It's got to be made. Choices have got to be simpler for people to understand what their options are. Uh, maybe sort of technology based mm. advice solutions that can work at scale might help. I don't like to use the term robo advice, but um, if we call it technology based advice, that might help to sort of help plug that gap in reach more people. There's a, a big role for the regulator to play here as well. And I think the, the industry as a whole probably needs to, to have a, a, a real debate about the extent to which we want pension providers and you know, guidance services like MAPS um, helping people and what kind of help they want to offer people. Because the reality is that certainly if, if, you, so if you look at um, AJ Bell, and a, uh, AJ Bell has never been an advice firm. We have an advice platform and a direct consumer platform, but we have no desire or intentions to enter the advice market and so as a result any guidance that we offer has to stay a long way away from that advice boundary and the concerns for um for providers within the industry is that if you get too close to that advice advice guidance boundary which isn't very clear and then a consumer comes and complains about what they deem to be advice and then that complaint is upheld by an ombudsman, for example, then you're going to be on the hook for that and the insurance costs that you have to pay are going to spiral through the roof. So in the in the current environment, you've got advisors who are too busy and don't in the main don't have time to pick up new clients. You've got loads of people using the pension freedoms who probably need more help and you've got regu- regulatory rules that potentially stop organizations that could offer that help from offering it. Now, I think some people will be cynical of the idea of pension providers offering help to consumers. And I've, I've heard the arguments from people saying this is just going to be people trying to flog people products and all the rest of it. But unless we come up with a better answer to that than the, peop- the, than the, the, the companies that those people are ultimately going to be engaging with alongside the money and pension service, then I, I, I can't see how we're going to get anywhere, but it's. I think it needs it needs the FCA to take a lead and 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 I mean set out some clearer expectations of what where guidance lies and where advice lies and what can be done to help people. What about annuities? Do they still have a place in this market, or is mixed drawdown a better option? Yeah, I think annuities do still have a place, um, albeit it might be more limited these days. Um, you know, but for somebody that wants a guaranteed sort of no risk income with no frills, maybe for a set period of time to, to perhaps plug the gap between retiring and the state pension, then there's a, there is a place for that. I think when we talk about annuities, the first thing that everybody complains about is the poor value. Um, but something that's not often mentioned is the benefit of the pooled risk, which means that you know, the annuity, of course, spreads the risk of longevity and that's another one of the risks of retirement is, yes, you might run out of money during your lifetime, but also the, the, the part, part and parcel of that is that you might live too long or longer than expected. And so having something that pulls that risk and 
mitigates longevity risk because, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to live and equally you don't know how long you're going to live. It can help mitigate that risk. But of course, it's situational. There's no one size it's all approach. Um, so there are a lot of individual factors to take into account. I'd absolutely agree with that. Annuities are a key part of um, the retirement landscape. It's important that there remains a competitive annuity market out there as well. So um, so customers and their advisors can get the best rate because we obviously saw a few providers um, pulling out of the market and merging and things on the back of the pension freedoms, which was under understandable. Um, I think the 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 key uh, the key for people if they're thinking of annuitizing or drawdown is obviously understanding the the risks and benefits of each and really thinking about the the decision that they're making and i mean what, one of the issues for example that came up um, for me in a in a discussion i had with someone recently was um around the idea of annuitization and long term care so one of the key benefits of annuitizing is that you get a secure guaranteed income one of the potential drawbacks is that you can't then change your mind on that income stream if your circumstances change and so if you look at the cost of going into a residential care home for example you'll be talking about 30,000 40,000 pounds a year now if you've annuitized age 65 at say 10,000 pounds a year because you're a healthy life at that point in time then you just I'm not I'm not saying that would ever be the wrong decision because for some people it will be the right decision but you need to be aware that the potential implications of that further down the line if you are somebody who goes into bad health who needs to go into care is that you're going to need some extra money to cover that cost so i think for the retirement market in the uk to work properly and to work for um work for investors and work for advisors clients we need to have a fully functioning annuity market as well as a competitive drawdown market but i think once you've got once you've got those two things together you can one of the great things about the pension freedoms is advisors can tailor plans to meet almost any client's needs and any situational need and it's slightly off topic but it's one of the one of the things that's frustrated me post pension freedoms has been there's a there's a constant demand for um, innovation and i think this is i don't know it's a kind of financial services thing where people as soon as something new happens regu- regulators included in this um say why is the industry not innovating why is it not coming up with new products one of the reasons that the industry w- won't be innovating is because there's a huge amount of regulatory stuff to deal with and I've dealt with that firsthand in this role and the the second part of it is actually actually what are you asking for because if you've got a part of the market that offers you a guaranteed income stream that can go up with inflation and can be individually underwritten and then a part of the market that allows you to do whatever you want spend your cash however you want then you're as long as you're engaged and that's the key part then you can mix those two parts of the market to provide any kind of income stream that you might need in retirement so it's never been quite clear to me what product is needed and what gap would be filled by a product in there because you've kind of got all income options as far as I can see yeah definitely well we've got you know a lot of years ahead of us to see what happens <laughs> well, I don't in this, about that <laughs> invention freedoms but Tom and Krupesh thank you so much for joining us today thank you for listening to the FT Advisor podcast tune in next week for the next episode